0: This is the Jabberjaw Podcast Network. Hello and welcome to Lead Singer Syndrome. I'm your host, Shane Tolt, and this podcast is all about me talking to other lead singers and what makes today especially cool for me is i get to talk to one of my favorite bands lead singers of all time and that's thomas barnett of strike anywhere now i have to give strike anywhere some credit they were the first band really to ever give silverstein a chance taking us on you know some of our very early tours and thomas really showed me the ropes you know uh i gotta say you know I was vegetarian before, I became vegan uh, for a number of years because of him, uh, you know, it just really taught us how to act on tour and all that stuff, and that's, those ethics are something that we, you know, try to pass along, you know, down the line as well, and Strike Anywhere are just such a cool band because they're very hard to label, they're kind of a punk rock band, they're kind of a hardcore band, they are just a truly a great band, they write great songs, and they're great people, and, and really, if you haven't heard of them, you gotta check them out, they're amazing. We did this interview in Europe, actually a few months ago, uh, when he was out with his kind of side project band, Great Collapse, and Great Collapse is an interesting story as well. They're kind of a punk rock supergroup, which is a term I don't really like to use, but, but maybe it is the best way to describe it. They have ex-members of Rise Against, Set Your Goals, Death by Stereo, a no, super talented band, so make sure you check them out as well. As for this podcast, you guys are always asking, how can we help? How can we help support the show? Uh, It's really easy. Right now we're only asking for one thing and all we want you to do is go buy yourself some stuff. The best place to do that is Amazon, of course, because they literally have everything. So go to leadsingersyndrome.com slash Amazon. That'll take you right to the Amazon homepage. And you just go log in as you normally would, buy whatever you want to buy, and our show gets 4%. And, you know, 4% isn't a ton, but if a whole bunch of people do it, it really adds up and it really does help us uh, you know, pay our bills, so to speak. Other stuff going on with me. Uh, I'm a busy guy, of course. Right now I'm out in uh, Western Canada with my band Silverstein. Uh, we're on tour right now on a headlining tour. We're going to be probably coming to a city near you if you live in America, that is. So uh, go get your tickets for our show. Come say what's up. Uh, a few people already have actually come up to me and said, Oh, dude, I love your podcast and I listen to your show every Monday. And, and that stuff makes me feel really good. So um, after the shows, I always go out to the merch and hang out. So go get your tickets at uh, com and come say hi. Also, I have my solo project, River Oaks Music. Well, River Oaks, River is the URL and check that out. Again, people have been so fucking cool to me. Like, just. ...saying how much they enjoy the songs. And, you know, it's a scary thing putting out a solo album... ...because, really, if if it sucks, there's no one to blame but you. Alright, well, let's jump into it. Um, there's actually some recent Strike Anywhere news... ...which is really cool because at the time of recording this... Uh, ...we didn't know this stuff. So I don't even know if Thomas knew. Um, but Strike Anywhere is playing some shows in Europe. They're getting back together. It's awesome. So if you, you know, if you're one of our European listeners... ...make sure you check them out on tour... And okay, we're going to get into this episode. I can't wait. It's one of my favorites. Um, First, we're going to run a quick ad, and we'll jump right into it, and I'll talk to you guys after. Thanks a lot. Growing
1: up doesn't mean you need to outgrow heavy metal. And now for discerning metal heads everywhere, there's a podcast just for you. Metal Brainiac is the smartest half hour in heavy metal. There's no beer or bro talk, and we leave Satan at the door as we dive into serious conversations with top metal artists. We dig into the creative process and explore the challenges of expression when people can't
0: make out the lyrics. I'm Matt Pykin, the host of Metal Brainiac, and you can find us every week on iTunes and wherever you find your favorite podcast and also at metalbrainiac.com.
2: Which lie is the one that will take me? And which one?
0: Give me a moderately loud... Hello. Okay, you're pretty quiet. You're such a soft-spoken dude, aren't you?
1: It's hard to... Yeah, the screaming happens only in Uh one one venue of my life. Yes.
0: (laughs) I love that. What a quote. Sweet, man. Okay, let's get started. So,
1: Hey, Thomas. Hi, Shane.
0: (laughs) Thanks for being on my podcast. Thanks. I'm excited. Um, I'm excited, too. Um, To all the people listening, um, Thomas is not only the singer of one of my favorite bands of all time, but also probably the nicest man I've ever had on, t- on tour with. That's sweet. You're just such a nice guy. Thanks, Shane. And he has, <laughs> Thomas has such a reputation as being such a nice guy. And uh, it's really lovely speaking with you.
1: It's lovely to be so a part of for this. So thanks
0: for doing this. So uh, let's jump into it, man. We were Before we got rolling a little bit, we were talking about how, you know, my band and, and, and what we're doing with the podcast and how my band kind of is in so many genres that were in no genres
2: right and right
0: and i wonder if you can relate to that at all with like strike anywhere and being like i always was when i first heard of strike anywhere was like well are they a punk band or are they a hardcore band right and right and i always wondered about how that identity was in, within your band and how you guys kind of like like thought of yourself or if you didn't care that was like always oh, something interesting it, to me.
1: In a real way, we didn't care, and it never mattered, and we were just like playing music that spoke something to us. And but we were also contextualized, you know, in Richmond and Richmond, Virginia, and doing positive um, hardcore with social and political commentary. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll I'll kind of automatically because Richmond's second generation of hardcore was very impressionistic, very dark, beautiful, like, you know, there was a, but but there wasn't necessarily this larger field that I think the, when I say third generation, I mean, kids from 1986 on, um, so that still makes me quite old, but, um, Uh, also half the band came from Northern Virginia and were influenced a lot by DC discord, course, hardcore sure. positive force, DC, the activist groups right. there. And there was, you know, I mean, it's, it's, it's a very, obviously cause you're at the seat of the, the power of the superpower of history. Of course. There's a lot of anger and there's a lot of just feeling it all around you. Um,
0: but I mean, that's the thing, like the, the 1980s DC scene is well documented, you know, all oh that yeah. stuff that's, yeah, you know, yeah. and we could talk for hours just about that alone, but you know, you're. I mean, you're in your early forties, so you would have grown up in Richmond, which is what two hours, two hours south. south in the late '80s. Yeah. So you know, that must have been like that must have been really interesting that you're like piggybacking probably off of this DC scene that's like so legendary. Like, or did you not even really understand it at that time that it was special?
1: I think Richmond had its own and unique. At nationally understood scene in the heyday of American hardcore in the like 82 to 86. And right when I turned 15 and could take the bus and see shows and figure that stuff out, I, it was, I think it was what a lot of the older Richmonders kind of like just tapped out. They were like, ah. Hardcore seems over. We don't know what the next thing is. Um, so in a way, there was this vacuum that occurred in my hometown scene that the younger local kids had to fill and figure out how to fill it. Um, right. Now, I think since then, there's been people maybe more consistently active in the scene of all ages. So cultural countercultural torches get passed with a little more... Awareness, but I didn't really receive a torch from my seeing elders. I mean, a few of them were still out and about and putting uh-huh. on shows, but a lot of folks, it just seemed a little burnt out. Well, things were a little self destructive, maybe. It's in the also mid-80s. kind of
0: like, I mean, my DC, you know, I kind of going off the top of my head, but I felt, I always felt like, and I wasn't there, I mean, I'm only 34, so, um, I, you know, Minor Threat broke up in what, like 1983, and then it seemed like after that, in the mid 80s, it, it, really that's when like Fugazi happened and when yes. like, there was Rites of Spring and there was really this like anti-hardcore movement. Right. So I could understand you as but this like old kid. But those bands were still kid. like
1: straight edge vegan and like more politically active oh, oh, than absolutely. anyone on the planet. Like, and a lot of that stuff informed me like there's early Fugazi shows. Fugazi, this is when Gee just was a dancer mm-hmm. and not a guitar player or singer, maybe kind of a roadie that it seemed like they just kind of enjoyed his company. But Fugazi came down as a three piece Plus Gee on backing vocals to New Horizons, which was the Richmond's like local and premier reggae club that also hosted a lot of punk shows because it was a huge thing between like the Caribbean black community in both DC and Richmond, like enjoying and being kinda curious with the creative interplay with these like, you know, mostly white punk kids and right. the simmering revolutionary qualities of reggae that informed I mean every era of punk, like owes a great debt, I think, to that specific kind of, you know, simmering revolutionary Caribbean music, dub, Rocksteady, Early Ska, reggae. So anyway, reggae clubs hosting the Fugazi show in Richmond and to go there with my friends and we're all transformed seeing it. And we're kind of shy and like still understanding our position and the, and the entire, you know, our local scene, but kind of the older kids who are excited about like 88 straight edge and youth of today and like a different, straight edge hardcore than what minor threat had presented, really. And Ian was reacting to that. He was looking at the kids in the crowd and and judging them by how they dressed in this funny, angry way, even back then, this is 1988. He was like, You, you, and you, you came here to see Minor Threat play, I'll give you your money back, you can leave. This isn't the Minor Threat show. Like before they yes. played a note, before it, before amps were turned on, he was already confrontational. So I saw that and I was like I was like, there's a backstory here I need to understand. Like there is an interplay between these two different agencies that I right. Thought we're pretty similar, you know. It'd be also like, here's another example like, so GBH comes to town, and I'm like, British punk band from Bristol, friends with Discharge, this is gonna be awesome, you know. And in many ways, it was awesome, but so many of the crusty, spiky political punks yes. that sweated all of that English shit, which was a huge part of my hometown, too, like a lot of influences from across the Atlantic. They didn't go to that show because GBH weren't as political because they were more, they were like a kind of a decadent fun rock and roll band in there in comparison to like discharge and crass and all that. And I was like, these are some, we're splitting some hairs here because there's police and Nazi skinheads trying to kill us. Let's just enjoy punk rock. Maybe on a bigger tapestry, bigger canvas. So you get to Strike Anywhere's formation, and we joked about it. We were like, oh, yes, two hardcore kids who, th- who think they're playing in their fun punk band, and it's three punk rock kids who think they're playing in their serious hardcore band. Well, yeah. Like that, and we were
0: kind of like realizing. Yeah, and, then, and then you went out and you signed to J2 Records right. just to make it even more confusing, like a full-on emo label, you know? <laughs> Yeah, it, and and I always thought that that was interesting too, because when I first heard of your band, well, I knew you was a Jade Tree band. So I was like, okay, well, there's like Lifetime, yeah, Kid yeah. Dynamite. I guess those were like of the like punk rock bands, yeah, yeah. But there weren't as as far as I recall at that time, there weren't really any hardcore bands on J Tree at all.
1: Well, that was where J Tree kind of did a good job of carrying the Discord theory, where. It was regional for them. They were like, these are the bands playing shows, Mm -hmm. you know, between Philly and Richmond and D.C. And like, this is, they were, you know, I think they were documentarians of a regional sound. And they also had the Explosion was on the label at the time and Damnation. And you said they had like heavier bands and then a couple, but they were only, they kind of just dipped their hands in the different sub genres and found at least what they thought was interesting, you know, and so that you could find like a rainbow of sound on Tree at that time.
0: That's Yeah, it's it's funny. So, okay, so you're 15 years old, you live in Richmond, and you're taking the bus to DC yes. hardcore shows. So this right. is like, th- this part, this is what is really cool to me to talk to you about. Like, you don't decide one day I'm going to wake up and I'm going to gonna go to a punk show. Like, somebody has to give you a record. Right. someone has to, you know, you said the elders didn't pass you the torch, but somebody did. Like, there's a way you discovered it, and there's yeah. a way that hardcore and punk rock now, you know, almost 30 years later is still the most important thing in your life.
1: Yeah, it is. (laughs) Um, I had older cousins that were from different cities in Virginia that were like, like um, uh, the Mohawk skinhead girls that would do letter writing campaigns to get sham 69 to include Roanoke, Virginia in their five date East coast tour in 1986. <laughs> like my cousins were enthusiasts and awesome and all women and all had leadership roles in their scenes in these other cities outside of Richmond. They'd make me mixtapes. tapes. I go visit them for like family gatherings and get deeper and deeper, read right. maximum rock and roll. Um, I skateboard with them. So I essentially had these older sisters who were my first cousins, who like got me got me into this in a deep way, and it was neat because then you know it wasn't like so, the, but I did have to find it on my own on my own on my own terms in our hometown. So me and my friends and my peers, we just go out and see shows, and like everyone would kind of find, like one of our good friends became really into vegan straight edge, and then Hare Krishna. Other other friends of ours went straight to like drinking a lot, hanging out on rooftops, and only listening to like Poison Idea for like years. Yeah. Like so, everyone kind of found their their sort of niche. And I loved it all, and every, literally different nights of the week and weekend, I'd be with these increasingly almost divided cliques, right. and still just hanging, and not really making choices. Um, but it, it was fine to me. You know, like but all that's that one way to
0: become well-rounded. Not only as a person, and as you know, socially, but also, I mean, musically, too. So you could, uh, you could almost argue that might be one of the reasons that Strike Anywhere was as diverse a band. It yeah. is, I should say as diverse a band as it was. I hope so. You know, I think that that's really kind of a cool note you could take. Maybe you've never even thought about that.
1: It is, it is. and you know what's interesting? All the guys in Strike anywhere are like this too. Like mm-hmm. they all they slide between different communities, if you will, and mm-hmm. they have deep passions um, that are, you know, as far as musical taste and things like that. That for other folks would be contradictions. Um, but I think that's the, that's maybe a secret to sustaining yourself as a human, you know, as a, as a living being, but even as like a, as a political being, as a, yeah, as an artistic person, you have to hold contradictions in your hands. You can't, you, it's like the, obviously like you need to make choices and you need to take stands. But as far as like aesthetics, there's plenty of energy and beauty in a lot of stuff and you don't have to be forced into one particular category. And it also makes you less easy to be manipulated.
0: Interesting. Strike Anywhere was a band that, was comfortable doing a basement benefit show for and you know and yeah, yeah. wide variety of political, you know, activism, you know, avenues, but also you guys were on the Warp tour. We were. You, know, you were also <laughs> able to tour with bands like Silverstein, you know. You, you, were, you, you were, were really pleasure. able to uh, as I say sometimes wear a lot of hats, you know, yeah. in in the the punk rock community and I mean, you know, punk rock as being like everything from Uh, simple plan to, you know, uh, crack or, or, you know, as far along the, the way, you know, you want to go. Well, it's also that
1: sense of like too much, too much discrimination becomes just like snobbery. And then you're only, you're in an echo chamber of everyone who's, who's dialed in, knows the deal. And like, You know, you always want to be an entry point for someone who needs it the most and someone who has no access to these ideas. And I know it's the digital age and so anyone can find anything on the internet, but that feeling doesn't come off of the screen. You have to be in that moment. That's right. In that air with those people. So that's why we all still do. That's why you still do this, Shane. Sure. You are face to face with people. You're looking in their eyeballs and there's nothing else like that. Nothing else will ever replace that.
0: No, you're absolutely right. You got. You guys must have taken some shit for all of a sudden being like, "Yeah, we're on the Warp Tour." There must have been some of your fans that were like, "Fuck that!" You know, they're associating with this corporate thing. You know that. Like, sure. Yeah. I mean, we were sellouts. Like that whatever they <laughs> want to call you. Oh, turn inter- Oh, yeah. And that's that's the other question I wanted to ask you <laughs> was was again you you have you said three members that think you're in a hardcore band and two members that think you're in a punk band or whatever it is. Yeah. And probably some members of the band that want to do Warp Tour. Because that was like the, you know, the 90s punk rock like, thing every band did. Right. And then there's a bunch of members that's like, no, 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 no. This is not what we're about. We're a politically charged band. We write political lyrics ex- nearly exclusively. True, true. And so what, what the fuck are we doing here? Well,
1: there was a sense of also like no one, you know, we, there's no real leadership. Like we try and do consensus decisions. And then if someone's really inspired, we let them run with the ball. As the That's a cool way to do it. and like so, if someone feels like, all right, maybe it's time to do something whack, we'd actually say that out loud. Let's like, let's do something whack. That's what Garth would say, and we'd be like, all right, Garth, what's the whack decision we're making this week? You know, but they had they took a toll on us. Even the folks that were kind of in favor of of being more expansive of yeah. and plus the Warped Tour two thousand five, it was a bit special because we had a few of our friends on it, like yourselves, mm-hmm. and we had the explosion in Bedouin Sound Clash, and it was the beginning of the rise of Gogo Go Bordello. And there was there was just like a diversity to it that it probably was the last gasp of that kind of diversity, maybe. I would say
0: so. We talked about this a little earlier in the tour. Actually, I remember we were talking about War Tour 2005, and I feel like that was really when it changed over in that you know few years when, I mean, Silverstein, we did it like almost every year there, between 2004 right, right. like and 2009 or something like that. And that's when you really started seeing the punk bands you know from the 90s like the fat records bands and stuff really start almost getting offended yeah. that the music was changing
2: right right and
0: that there was you know hardcore bands and metal bands and screaming bands and all that and it really started to divide you right. know and the the lunch lines on warp tour were a little like people were a little there was it was very clicky like, like that, high school you know? it became like it the like high, high school, school. <laughs> which is everything you didn't warped tour wasn't supposed to be right and then it right. became that and you and you guys were sort of in the center of it we were definitely in the center of it because right. we were touring with like guys like you and and you know i would i had played poker with like fat mike every night on the, yeah, yeah. the warped tour the previous year before and like i knew about religion and those guys but then i was also friends with you know all these like you know victory bands and you know, all these like yeah. emo bands or whatever you want to call them. And so it put, it put us in sort of a weird position and I kind of just wondered how it was for you guys. Like, or if you guys even cared,
1: Um no, we cared. And a lot, a lot of stuff just offended our sensibilities too. And like, I mean, we had other issues like our box truck didn't have a generator that worked. So Ugh. we didn't have any air conditioning. So we had to be outside yeah. in whatever dusty, muddy parking lot, uh, Hellhole that we happened to be in for nineteen hours of those days, so we didn't have a place to escape. And there's all those kinds of creature comfort issues. Um, and some of that was a fun
0: little adventure. Some of it
1: felt like we were just like adventure camping. Um, well,
0: it is. It, it's fun for the first maybe three or four days. <laughs> yes, but you know when it's a six or seven or eight week tour or whatever it was back then, it right. can get a little uh, brutal.
1: But I think you know it, it, those are things you do to kind of solidify. Your own opinions—the ones you even started with—you're just kind of like, but but also on the other, you know, sometimes those are the only times we ever would have played to those. particular kids in like rural central South Dakota or a town outside of St. Louis, Missouri, you know, cause punk scenes are in niche places like, and, and more and more now, unfortunately, like mm-hmm. it's, it's dismal and economically almost impossible to go across the U S and back like the way we used to all the time without a thought, you know, it's, there's, there's all kinds of like physical and logistical issues with doing that. So the world tour is also a way to play to people that are in the hinterlands, that are in places that are not like hip cities, or you know, that, that have like a, a consistent punk history or whatever. Yeah. So I, I think that was a part of it too—that sense of mission. Okay, sure. like, hey, we can spread these ideas and. And, and, and maybe connect with some folks. There was a nonprofit tent. I remember I'd go there right after we played and spend hours there yep. with the different nonprofit groups and even tried to drum up nonprofit tent participants the days before each I of the tours.
0: Still, and there's still a level of activism on the tour. There's, you know, there's still the PETA tent and they do what they can. Yeah. And Action for Animals is out there. And there are. You know certain things. Like I mean, code pink. There's and like, also a Marines tent sometimes, which uh, yeah, yeah, that was an you issue. Know.
2: There was a yeah. lot of
1: like, but but at the same speaking time, speaking out against recruitment, and then later yeah. during the Dropkick Murphy set, having Navy guys come up to you, very drunk and very angry. <laughs> like, oh,
0: God. You know, yeah. but
1: those are things. There's a risk you take, and that's a part of it. Like right. Anti flag had told us like, you got to play Warp Tour mm-hmm. because someone's got to speak out against the military that's recruiters. Great. You
0: know, that's true. But I mean, the influence of Strike Strike Anywhere is. I mean, I don't know if you really understand how influential the band has been. I guess I don't. I mean, I don't like, know. <laughs> you're such a humble person and you're soft-spoken and everything. Um, I would say that Strike Anywhere is one of the most influential you know, punk bands, I'd say, of, of your, your age. I mean, for sure. And I think one of the things that made your band so influential was your, the way you sang and your vocal style and that you were able to have that uh, aggressiveness in your voice and that really like heartfelt passion, but then you were also actually able to carry a tune, which you know sometimes that's very sweet. Oh no, no, <laughs> you're you're a great singer. <laughs> I don't so know about I, that. I mean, I don't know. I, I know you're going to downplay it. I know you are. But do you think about? Do you think about how you know uh, well received Strike Anywhere was, and and you know your records were always like loved, you know, almost universally by you know punk rock media outlets, and you had such a strong fan base. You still have such a great fan base especially in europe where we are right now true and and i just wonder if you think about that or if you are more thinking about what you're trying to say next lyrically and what your next sort of um what you're trying to bring to the masses in terms of political statement
1: i mean i think it's more just the day-to-day life like putting one foot in front of the other and it's a, It's a quote I say all the time, and I did not invent this, but it's it's the only way I can describe it with the most accuracy is You make the road by walking, and I don't look back so often and uh-huh. yes, yeah, so it's probably more the latter, like just writing and engaging in the moment and being a part of something that's like much much bigger than you know my little voice and my limited, limited talent or whatever it is. Or it's more just like the not giving up of it all. Like, um, I mean, I feel like, I feel like we're just a, we're just a tiny part of like a, and anything I would do like singing for with any group and writing is a tiny part of a bigger tent and in a, in a wider field. And it's also the kind of thing where once you have that song and you probably know this feeling, Shane, Mm -hmm. once other people embrace it and take it and it, it enters their life in whatever capacity, Um, they sing along with you at a show. Um, there's that openness, that warmth and that courage and that just sense of like, fuck it. Like, I don't care if I look stupid. I don't care if my friends don't get it. I, this is, this is where I'm at right now. Like that song is no longer yours. Like you can't claim ownership and you can't claim the effect of whatever you've initially created and put out there in the world. Like it becomes everyone else's too. So then you're just kind of, the song comes back to you. Reflected in off the brains and the hearts of these people that are singing back to you, and you're you're like visiting an old friend, or maybe a child that's gone out into the world and come back and has now surpassed you in its range and effect. And that's the only way to see this stuff, you know, especially because music is, is, and, and hardcore punk is a living art form where people, the audience participation is almost how you define the genre besides the sonics. You know, you just get people with that much passion and yeah. that are willing to let go and not be, not even conform to like the status quo of the counterculture, but just really embrace it and find their own path. And if your song, if the thing that you write can help someone, even in a little way, just to, just to balance themselves on that path for a moment. I mean, that's, Shit, man. That's more than I would get a chance to do in the world, really, for anyone else at any other time. Like it's, and so I mean that that's a big enough responsibility, but also it's a sense of like not really owning anything. You know what I mean? Like other people's perspectives and feelings about strike anywhere records. You know anything that I've contributed to in the past? Like that's as much theirs as mine. Like and so I I don't know. I kind of just see it as like being a part of a big collective moment. Yeah.
0: But that's so cool. I mean, that you actually really feel that way about it, you know, because too many people in this world want to claim their copyright, you know, for something, Yeah. whether it's, I guess. Um, whether it's, you know, no, I, I mean, I mean, it. I, I'm not talking about in punk rock or anything. I'm just saying in the world in general. So it's, it's so nice that you're, that that's the way you feel and that you're able to pass down these songs that you. And these ideas that, that you've come up with too. I think that's the only way to really to sustain it, to keep doing
1: it too, because then you're not, you're not so attached and desperate about like, like your stamp or your identity. Yeah. And, and because it's way surpasses identity and it wastes, you know, it's like every time that like the song is written and, you know, or you're putting lyrics and, and vocals to something and you're trying to reach deeply and you're trying to like have it be like this singular moment. Yeah, you know, the song captures something that not even a photograph, not even like a, a written, uh, you know, journal entry, like it does, it goes beyond that a bit, like capturing a moment and capturing a feeling. It
0: does, because I think with music, there's so many senses going on, you know, especially yeah. when we had the conversation earlier where, you know, to really speak to somebody, you can't do it through a computer screen. You have to do it face to face. Right. And right. I think that when you have music, and when you have to sing a song, there's the you know you're hearing it, you're seeing seeing it, you're understanding what it's saying, or you're taking your own take on what it's saying. Right. And then that's what makes it so beautiful that you can pass it on, and that's what makes music so much more special than uh, than writing something down or taking a fo- photo. Right. Not that those thing not to downplay those importance of those things, but I always believe that music has more. Importance in that way
1: I would think it 's almost like the best photography, the best visual art, um, the best writing and literature are references for feelings first, and it 's the accuracy of that reference that feels so poignant and that grips your mm-hmm. heart that makes it a memorable experience with that piece of art. But the music is actually the verb is the energy of that. It's not referencing anything, it, you know, it's the moment itself. Right. And that's why I think it's, it's dimensionally different from other art forms. It's not just on a lateral plane. No, that's... it's dimensionally different. And that's what I've always known about it too. And hearing melodies in your head and rhythms and kind of being plagued by these things that you can't write them all down. You can't chase all of that smoke, you know, coming out of the fires in your mind. Like, But the, if the things that are there come back. So like, you know, Shane, lead singer syndrome style, like you can't find a pen and you can't get into a little, you can't hide into a bathroom or a closet to sing into your voice recorder on your phone, (laughs) you're worried you're going to lose that thing. That thing that was like in the, the, the fragments of the dawn of a dream. As you wake up, you're like, this is the melody. This is that rhythm. This is that thing. And like, damn it, I can't, it's gone now. You know, and you, lots of people have that. But what I've figured out over the years is that it doesn't really go away. It it nestles back in to that place where it came from inside you, and it comes out again, and you find it when you are least expected to look it's for true. it. So it's this isn't like a mathematical or an engineering thing. It's like
0: no, it's not. And the other thing too is so, so much of when you write that special line or you know the music behind it is so important too, and right. the way it's. Projected, that's what can really speak to somebody. That's and that's the whole, you know, why a song is more uh, uh, powerful than a journal entry can be. Is because of that too, yeah. and you can't always. When as a songwriter, as a, as, or I mean, I'm, I mean, as a songwriter, you can plan it more. If you're just writing words over something, it's harder to plan out that moment, right. When you're going to be like, okay, we got amps cranked up, and there's a PA, and there's all these people in this room, and at this moment, I'm going to say this note, and it's going to there's going to be this feeling, like this yeah. shiver that's going to go through someone's you know whole body, and right, you cannot. Right. Write that down No
1: No So then how do we do, I mean where do you get that Lightning in a bottle from Like That's right But and it's almost you're right like You're listening it, to you, the negative space You're not necessarily saying like This is This is the moment This is the next moment You're saying like The space between the moments Is what you kind of listen to And this is oh, This is getting very new age But <laughs>
0: Yeah But, but there's
1: an aspect to it That I think but has this been is true stuff, forever. This
0: is like the kind of thing That people don't really talk about That's fucking real Yeah you know, that like the when you sing a song and you get someone gets the shivers, what the fuck is that? Yeah. No one has has scientifically defined that that I know of. No. And I don't think
1: you can. No. Because there's so many levels that exist. And it's, and, and it's also like the internal moments you might have as a person in that with that song, that show, that night, that moment on stage that also colors and affects the song. So you're actually you're kind of like writing more as you go. And it's more of like embedding more layers into the emotions of the song. So sometimes the song will reflect a memory of when you played it last. You know, I wonder sometimes if mm-hmm. these spaces that we keep going to, like these venues, um, if they themselves react and change the song in a
0: small way, and it's a part of the
1: audience's experience and ours. You're
0: saying like how we're in a venue. Well, right now we should tell the people we're in Austria. Yes, a venue in Vienna. Arena. Right, uh, it's a very famous, um, you know, punk rock venue. It's like a around a thousand capacity, and I don't know how many times you've played here. Eight, I Eight? think. Yeah, yeah, we're up there too, <laughs> and and that's a really interesting point you make about that because I always think the same thing. Because whenever I come in, this is a great example of a room that I have so many memories of, right? And mostly very positive memories yes. about great shows we've played here. But then, at the same time, that's you know one side of the coin. The other side of the coin is all the people that have come and seen, you know, strike anywhere or a great collapse or you know whatever uh, band you were playing with before. They right. have a memory of a show too. Yes. So they all. So I think it's human nature to want to. Oh, that felt good. I want to do that again. Sure. I want to feel yeah, that yeah, again. Yeah, yeah. So I think not only are you going to go on stage and be like, "Well, I had a great time last time," or the eight previous times. Right. The audience feels that way too. Yeah, yeah. So yeah. in a way you say, well, I'm trying to keep one foot in front of the other, but you can't help but think back.
1: Well, there's these echoes, definitely these echoes of experience and of shared emotion mm-hmm. and of unrepeatable times that human nature often says, let's repeat that unrepeatable time, you know, that's but that's right. kind of when you get in trouble. Like, and, it's, and of course it's hard to defeat that. There's this inertia and familiarity and comfort and, but a big part of punk rock though, like and, and, and doing art in general would be to challenge those comforts. To, to push yourself into a place that maybe isn't as comfortable you know and I don't mean all of a sudden Striking Anywhere starts to play like Miles Davis, Bitches Brew Jazz. <laughs> like that would just be something inauthentic and contrived and sound very bad. <laughs> but I guess I just mean where you put yourself and your persona in this art form, in these yeah. experiences, you know, and you can't quite be the same Shane that did this set list four years ago or these two songs from the set list three years ago. And like, I mean that wouldn't feel right. You would be kind of. It, it's almost like a pantomime of yeah, the self. Sure. So, it's so would like that the
0: same thing when the, when a band does a reunion tour. Yeah, and it's awesome. And then they're like, "We want to do it again," and they don't. You know, it, it's for some reason the brain doesn't seem to understand or isn't smart enough to understand. Well, it was awesome because we did it once. Yes, <laughs> and it might be awesome again, but it will never be at. It will always just drift away, and and then it becomes, it can become more sad than anything, and, hey. it, and it can really ruin the initial great moment you
1: know and having trying to have this awareness this like stumbling difficult awareness of like nothing is repeatable and we shouldn't try and go for that same feeling like because that's not real and even if this show we there's a few risks and we take a, you know there's there's a, some moments that are have an edge to them it's still a better way to authentically connect yeah. with these fine people who showed up
0: absolutely uh, that's
1: sort of the reason and, you know, I'm representing the consensus of my Strike Anywhere bandmates, but that we're not having a hiatus. We're not breaking up. Yeah. We're just, we, you just haven't seen us in a while. We're just playing shows when we can. And the windows are pretty small these days with everybody's schedules. Sure. But, it, you know, we really haven't announced that we've changed the way we operate in any any traditional way. Like bands say, we're going on a hiatus. We're just, Nope. We're just we just haven't been around in a while, but we're still it's we're still active. I, I like to say we're on geologic time, <laughs> whereas Great Collapse is more of a seasonal time. That's you right. You know, and so that, and that's the way some bands are on weekly time, <laughs> like. But I think I think that's all. It's it, it's it's a better way to to figure out how to like make it work with your life and the changes in life that happen. Right.
0: Well, that's the thing, and I wanted to ask you about that. I mean, obviously, you're in your 40s now. Um, you've been a punk rocker for, you know most of your life. Yes. And you continue to be, but you still, you're you're married and you have, um, you know, a great relationship. They know, you know, you talk about your wife all the time. Um, yeah, she's definitely the better half (laughs) for sure. (laughs) Well, I know she's, you guys are kind of like your, you have a lot of passion together about, you know, activism and politics and stuff. And that's amazing. Um, but, but I do wonder like, you know, the, the, the adult crash, you know, the, um, Does that ever come over you? Is there ever a time when you're like, fuck, I'm, you know, I did this, I did strike anywhere for so long and like, now I don't really know what I want to do. Maybe I just want to like chill. Maybe I'm, maybe I'm a little (laughs) tired. Maybe I'm a little over it. And I wonder if, and I, I guess the first thing I wonder is if you felt that way. And the second thing is, is great collapse part of not letting that
1: happen? I mean the easy answer to all this is yes and yes um but it's also like I'm grateful that Great Collapse happened in the weird and strange way that it did the band is like two and a half years old but we've only played like 20 shows 10 of which are this tour in Europe like because of Distances and all the other fellas and Great Collapse being in bands and all of them being in LA then all of them moving to Portland but me staying in Ventura which is central California um and there's you know, there's all of these little things. Um and just all of us kind of being like you know, especially you know, Chris and I who've been doing this for like a ridiculous long time, like being like, We're still writing songs that are like we still believe in this kind of this stuff is still natural for like there was no pressure yeah, to do anything, and there still isn't. I think that's a part of the great collapse ethos: is every show like it's our last, every record like it's the only one, that kind of thing. Which is,
0: but there must be pressure. I mean, it's you know, every time I Google your band, all I see is punk rock supergroup. Like with that, oh man, we hate. Phrase, I mean, we don't I hate mean, it. Like it's just, uh, it's, it's just okay just to awkward. hate. It. It's like it is. It is kind of awkward, and it is. I mean, that that has to put some pressure on you guys to be like, everyone's expecting, like, you know, we have to be as good as the best Rise Against record and the best Strike record and the best Set Your Goals record. You know, like, we have to be all of these things put together in this, you know, like, you talk about lightning in a bottle. It, like, has to be this amazing thing. I'm sure to many people it's not. Um, I think, you know, I think maybe more
1: like we just wanted to do songwriting with each other and see what happened, see what we could do in a kitchen together as cooks from different bands and, and, and maybe not have a lot of the pressures or big personalities that things, you know, different kinds of songwriting can like lift up in the mix. And, uh, I mean, so it's really nice to have all of these fine gentlemen to, to, to work through riffs with and to think about ideas. And, and I don't know, I can't describe why it's different it just is and it and i think that's the way to do honor to the mm-hmm. project being a separate thing um and no one you know, we don't care like whatever d- d- lazy terminology the press has to use to describe a band sure. full of people that of are losers enough to still do punk rock after two decades but i mean it's it's fine like we we enjoy whatever's happening now with this yeah. band and but you know the adult crash is a great thing to bring up because definitely for like Punk fans in, in the US especially, like, it's physically it like Externally and economically Difficult and punishing To to do it as, as a living I mean it was never really a living it was more of like a, Oh wow we broke even you know like right. that Kind of feeling um, and I have to be Honest that probably contributed to striking and we're slowing Down too like when your vehicle blows Up and you can't really afford to Get another one going yeah. like you just you, you make different choices you know And and you sometimes let things make The choices for you too like you can't It's doing something different is important. Like making changes is good. Um, But you're right. Much like (laughs) when someone who's used to doing something and having this outlet for expression, um, especially I'm really shy. Like I'm pretty introverted. Like this is my way of being, of contributing to the world on like whatever scale it is. And otherwise, I kind of anyway. This the the creative fire is like a need and it builds up in you and yeah. you have to do something with it and and then if not and it sounds a little dramatic but it starts to kind of distort your nature your personality gets a little compressed you know and you're so used, let's just be honest like be used to this catharsis and people trusting you and you being a part of this therapeutic live punk and hardcore experience where everyone gets to like have courage and scream and be a part of it and you lose yourself in those moments. It's like the annihilation of the petty ego. And yeah. weirdly enough, you can get addicted to those feelings or need them or only see yourself in terms of those moments. Um, and so when you don't have those moments or when they're not coming as often, you just, you definitely need something. So were you, say. were
0: you finding yourself like actually going through any kind of like depression or any sure. kind of like, yeah, yeah. Like I did mean, it start like when strike was slowing down and you were like, fuck, I have to do something. Or were you like, was it, hard for you.
1: It took a while for me to get to the fuck I have to do something. I had a lot of other stuff going on like um I nursed my father through cancer and like that was a creative act and that mm-hmm. that, that you know that was fine and uh Um, Anyway, like moved across country And like got kind of invested And involved in different jobs That aren't that interesting But, you know, for some reason I have a passion for organic produce So I get to (laughs) manage the produce department At a small mom and pop natural foods market And that's kind of fun Um, But it is weird It feels like you have a secret identity Where you fold back into like a town and have a job and all yeah. that regular stuff and you're and it's there's there's kind of a beauty to it in that structure but like if you're not really necessarily good at it or it, it's hard to sustain for a long time like and yeah so i think I think when Joe, actually Joe Sasita, who's the basis for Great Collapse and Set Your Goals, started sending me songs that all of them were kind of writing. And I was like, oh, this is great. Because I'd actually, there's a lot so of... So sh- they, they,
0: the, they kind of put together the, the core of the band and then sort of recruited you in? Is that how it yeah, happened?
1: Yeah, I was late. I was one of the last members of Great Collapse uh-huh. to join. Um, of course, I, you know, I named the band and stuff. like They weren't Great Collapse then. They were just, you know, Tom, Joe, Kyle, and Chris writing songs. <laughs>
0: Not but a very good, catchy band name.
1: <laughs> they, they didn't, but it was cool. Like I was really impressed by the lack of ambition. Is that Um, the right word? I don't know.
0: Yeah. It was just for the art. It was like, what are we going to do with this? Oh, I kind of like this That's that's cool. But then now obviously you guys have a new album that's come out very recently. Yes. And you know, you guys are on tour right now with us and and Boy Sits Fire in Europe and it's a big tour. Yes. And you got about to go on tour with Refused and Rise Against, which is an even bigger tour. Yes. And I mean, starting out this new band, was it I mean it must have been kind of awesome that I think I read your you played your first show ever with Propagandi. Yeah, you know, yeah, like, yeah, that was like, awesome. But but that must have been because of you have these names and you this super supergroup, it must have been very easy starting out and getting like shows and getting maybe someone to book you and, and all that. Whereas I'm sure when you started out with you know, Inquisition and right. anywhere, it wasn't so fucking easy. So, is, Inquisition is
1: that, definitely was. Was that a, was a, a little slog. bit like?
0: Did you feel a little bit like I don't want to say like you were cheating, but a little <laughs> bit like, kind of you're using your old personas a little bit too much, or was it just more important to get your message out there and it didn't matter?
1: You know, it, I, we did play our first show of Propaganda, and I guess the difference is that it wasn't. To us, it wasn't because of our pedigree as much, and it wasn't a lot of apparatus. It's, but you know, I know a lot of people say this, and it's probably always true. But like, those are our friends. Like, these are people that have obviously, yeah. like, through touring, like Inquisition toured with Propaganda, Strike Anywhere, Tortured Propaganda with touring with them. For us it's more like friendships like an excuse to hang out at a show with our friends and oh yeah we have a band too. Do you need someone to, to open before the, the doors open? <laughs> and and all the great collapses for shows were like we're the sixth opening band of a hardcore matinee. We're not uh-huh. on the flyer. Like, we did a lot of that like super local weekends whatever is kicking off in LA. And then of course, Wilhelm Screen would come through and they'd be like, wait, what are you guys, you guys have the new band. Why don't you play with us? That'll be wicked. Cool. Saying some That's Rhode cool. Island shit like wicked, you know? Yeah. But yeah. you're right. I mean, there was always that sense of like these connections and these relationships are what, you know, pushes the band and there's all this momentum. And if we were like unconnected 17 year olds, maybe it'd be different. I mean, but I think mm-hmm. as far as the, like, first on the local seven band hardcore bill that we could be any band doing that and we wanted that experience too we wanted like don't put us on the flyer please don't put X members of you know that's a bummer you know like let's just let's just earn some shit let's just feel it and not even about proving it to ourselves but just just to be there just to kick. Cause it's, it's artificial to be like, check us out. You know, here's our pedigree. Here's our, you know, it's like, here's our CV.
2: Yeah, <laughs> like, yeah. I
1: don't know. Like that's just whack and, and, and weak. And we have the confidence in the songs and we like what we're doing. And we don't really, like I said, like it's, it's, it's this show, it's this night, this record we're trying to keep it like that. Yeah. It's
0: important to us. That's awesome. Um, I just got sent awesome new wireless earbuds from Raycon. I opened the box, opened up my phone, and literally in less than a minute, I was jamming out to my favorite tunes. What struck me right away was how well these fit, and then how amazing they sound. Definitely more bass than my other wireless headphones. But the biggest game changer is the price. The E25 earbuds they sent me start at half the price of other premium wireless earbuds on the market, have six hours of playtime, and really are super comfortable, whether it's music, conference calls, or binging this podcast. And there's no dangling wires or stems to distract other people if you're on a video call. The company was co-founded by Ray J and celebrities like Snoop Dogg, Mike Tyson, and Melissa Etheridge are just a few people obsessed with Raycon's, whether you're working from home or working on your fitness, you want what you're listening to to be what you're listening to, not the other distractions from the room. Everyone needs a great pair of wireless earbuds, but before you drop hundreds of dollars on a pair, check out wireless earbuds from Raycon. Now's the time to get the latest and greatest from Raycon. Get fifteen percent off your order at buyraycon.com/slash. LSS. That's B U Y R A Y C O N dot com slash LSS for 15% off Raycon wireless earbuds. Buy Raycon dot com slash LSS. If you're in tech, you've been there before, feeling the pain of hiring a freelancer or new employee for design or development only to find out months later that it's not a fit. And those types of mistakes aren't cheap. Instead, Mutual Mobile, a digital technology consultancy, uses the process it's developed over the past 10 years, delivering over 600 client projects to ensure your fast and beautiful mobile or web app is finished on time and within budget. If you have design or development needs, schedule a free 30-minute consultation at mutualmobile.link slash L-S-S to get started. That's M-U-T-U-A-L-M-O-B-I-L-E dot L-I-N-K slash L-S-S to get started with your free consultation today. Cool. I mean, with the, with the new band, Great Collapse, um... I love, I love the new record. I think it's fantastic. And one thing I noticed listening through it is it's almost entirely, you know, a political record and and like strike anywhere was. Mm -hmm. And I know that that's obviously something that's important to you, but you know, going through, you talked about some of your personal struggles, like with your father and you know, with you kind of just becoming going through some depression and stuff. I, I noticed that you tend to shy away from ever writing songs, um kind of reflective of your own emotions or your own feelings. And well, then I got to the end of the record and I noticed that the last song um One Year I think it's year, called yeah. is actually a song about the dealing with the loss of yeah. loved ones. Yes. Is that the first time you've ever really poured your heart into a song like that? It's
1: it, probably the first like real first person song. Well, there's another song on the record too, the world between that's mm-hmm. the, the song about the adult crash. That's about uh, yes. the tension in life at this stage, especially like with the American consciousness of like eternal youth and the expectations of adulthood. And it's, it's about sort of like, uh, I was just watching all my friends like staring out of the fog and windows of the bar onto the street and when we would go out when we were younger it was all about like let's just walk at night let's just see what it's like when the when the street lights click on and off when we're in the center of the intersection you know let's just see if we can break into this building and get to the rooftops and the, and i realized that man, we were all just sitting at a bar I mean, and these are people who drink or are sober, but this is just where everyone goes and we're staring through the fog at this diffused impressionistic world. And like that used to be our world. That used to be where we were. So to me, that's really personal too. Um, But of course, you know, and honestly, it's not like I'm trying to make a political or social statement with everything that I'm writing. Like a lot of the strike anywhere songs that you would think are like, yeah, this is about the racist police state are also the way I would need to process those experiences personally too. like sunset on 32nd is a really personal song for me about like witnessing like police, like without a warrant breaking into my neighbor's house, terrorizing their family and beating him in the middle of the street in front of all of us. And like all of us feeling powerless as fuck to do, and maybe even a part of the problem. And, And it was crazy. Um, anyway there's there's striking anywhere songs that have that a personal resonance um but one year is different one year is was really hard to write and 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 also you know there's a certain sense of these things are so intimate these memories of me and my friend, even i mean to like the rest of our group of friends who were grieving his loss. He died in a fire like in his house in our so hometown, horrible. blocks away so from where horrible. most of us still lived and it was there no one could save him and it was it was already too late. Like by the time his body burned a little, he had already died from, or his brain had died from smoke inhalation, yeah. and you know, and we had to figure all this stuff out, and like the the EMTs were pulling him out of the house, and one of my good friends had to run over there and say, "Oh my God, it's Carter." His name is Alfred Carter Graham, like to tell to identify his body. Yeah, like she had to say, and like while processing the the fact happening that. He, that was, that smoke was from his apartment. You know what I mean? Like the stuff that we saw in the sky that night was, was him dying. And like, anyway, there's certainly like growing up in Richmond and having these beautiful charismatic friends, um, you know, let me tape records from them, and we all go to. He was one of the people at this the Fugazi show memory that we started this podcast with. He was at the Reggae Club watching Ian McKay dress down all of the second wave straight edge foot soldiers, and uh, and and you know he he and I would we would meet together and uh, talk about these same kind of memories over the years. But yeah, man, I'm glad you noticed. One year is definitely oh yeah a different jam. Oh yeah.
0: <laughs> well, I mean that's just something I always like. I mean I always love Strike Anywhere and. You know, I, I but I was always a fan of, I always liked political punk and I always liked punk about, you know, about emotions and about feelings too. Yeah. And I feel like in my life, this has been equally important for me. Yes. You know? And I, I ever wonder if, I kind of wonder if you shy away from writing personal songs, maybe out of a little bit of, it's easier to write something about something else so I don't have to write about myself and how I'm feeling. Right. And there's right. also the side of maybe it's more important me to 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 educate people on what the fuck is really going on out there rather than just be like i'm sad well, but in a way I feel like both sides are important for self expression and Indeed. Know, and for our understanding of you know who we are as as human beings
1: yeah I agree but i I, I guess like the the songs that are right, like they do the same work, like help me process emotions. Help me. Like I'm like the, when we have a song about feminism and it's chalk line, the striking anywhere song where changes the mm-hmm. sound. There's a direct relation to like me being a part of and seeing riot girl kick off in like 1991 and two in my hometown. And like yeah. they would do chalk lines of a woman's body. Down on the ground, like when they do yep. you know, a, a chalk line of, mm-hmm. of a dead body. Um, but they would do these chalk lines as a protest art for wherever a woman was raped or assaulted in our hometown. And so that was like, you know, and obviously all of us know. You know, clo- and we have close, close dear friends and family who are victims of sexual violence. So, all of that stuff is really close to me. And, like, those are songs Absolutely. that, I, in my life, are personal. But, yeah, you kind of mentioned
0: it before, I understand. But, yeah, I mean, I just think your influence is, is like so um, understated as, a, as what you've done. And um, I interviewed um, Jake, the singer for August Red. Do you know that band? No. You don't know the band? I don't know that band. Um, they're, well, this is, this is very interesting. They're a Christian um, metalcore band. Okay, maybe they're, that's why. <laughs> they're from um, Lancaster, PA, but he grew up in um, South Carolina. Okay. And so I'm talking to him, and he's very, very, very religious. The podcast uh, went quite quickly to his you know, faith interesting. and everything. So we started talking about music and his upbringing. And yeah, yeah. the reason he's a singer is because of your band. Interesting. He saw you guys play at uh, New Brooklyn Tavern in like 2004. Yes. And he said when he saw you up there, it changed his life pretty wow. much. And he told me this story, and I, I doubt you'll remember, but maybe you remember something like this. He told me that um, he met you after the show, like at the merch table or whatever, and he asked you to sign his arm. And so you did it, and then you asked, and then, and then you told him to sign your arm.
1: Yeah, yeah. So he,
0: I guess he did it. Right. And I guess at that moment, and I'm not, I don't remember exactly how he worded it, but it kind of like made him feel like you, you could do, you did it and he could do it. Right, right. And it put you guys on the same level. And I don't know if you understand like that kind of influence that you've had, even, you never even heard of the band. No. They're a big band. Okay. (laughs) They they were at Warped Tour Main Stage this year. All right. They're actually in Europe. Actually, you know what? They're playing the venue we played last night, tonight. Wow, in we Switzerland. left a note. We left a note for them. Yeah, in Switzerland. They're cool. playing there tonight. Cool. So, um, so I think you don't even really understand how influential you are. We're Dang, just sitting here sweet. talking.
1: Well, I think all that stuff too. It's like the, the reason that like there's a need to destroy power. Like whether it's like the weird personal power of like the lead singer's ego or like the the songwriter's ego. Like all of that stuff. That are kind of unique ethics to like the beginning, the dawn of punk and hardcore, but they keep having to be reinvigorated within that community yeah. because people lose the plot, um, and 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 also like the the comfort and isolation of pretending you own something that you can never own, or like you know peacocking around these feelings and you know all of that stuff. Like it gets boring like it's not only like not ethical and not like artistically honest and not honest to the group the shared catharsis of the community and all these great things but it's boring man that's why people stop feeling what they originally felt about doing the music is because they've built this like walled up castle for themselves and they you know blocked up all the windows and they don't want to see whatever like the world outside anymore so i think things like that, like little rituals to keep us all in the equal playing field to remind us that this is just like a shared energy that's balancing between all of us. I think that's important shit. I I think that's important shit too. This Um, is fun, Shane. Thank you very much, man. I'm I'm having a great time.
0: I like, I always love talking to you, but like talking like this and getting really deep and stuff is, is really awesome. Um, there's only like a couple more things I kind of want to ask you about. Um, I guess I am wondering how after this long of being, you know, in, in a hardcore punk band, whatever the fuck it is, and um, playing all these venues with no monitors or you can't hear yourself, um, has it taken a toll on your voice at all? Or are you, do you hold up pretty well? I know right now we're in, this is going to be our ninth show in a row tonight. In a row, yeah. And I, you're, uh, I looked at your tour schedule because you guys are jumping on the Refused um, Rise Against tour right after, and it's like 17 in a row for you. Yeah, I don't know. It's always kind of
1: a you. I don't really have much control over what happens with my voice. Like it it does what it does. There's some tours where it breaks really early, and it's always kind of rebuilding through the tour, and things kind of stay really grainy. Which I don't care. I'm I'm fine with that. Um, I I've been noticing on this tour because we have had pretty good sound on stage. Yeah. Um, like blazing. Blazing lead vocal in the center monitor, and like being able to hear myself and my bandmates and the guitars and all that stuff. I feel like my reference points have remained a bit more consistent, um, and that's been nice. And yeah, yeah, like there hasn't been too many sour notes, there hasn't been any moments where I've just been flying blind through the whole set. Um, but but you know, when you play like on the floor with just a vocal PA, like a house show or a teeny tiny club, like you also can hear yourself usually really well, and you can, you know, and also you can hear yourself in the audience. Like, there's that sense of, like, I don't know, you know, it it all depends. Like, you have to have, there's a good balance between, like, people participating, and then the sound can be just, like, whatever, or if you're still trying to introduce the band and the songs, and no one knows what you're doing, it is nice to be able to actually perform them to Mm -hmm. some degree how they were meant to sound. Have you
0: had problems with your voice ever, Like, like, losing it, or... No, been, been I help. mean I've had
1: problems where it's been kind of like crappy, and my throat was sore. But, yeah. but I could always you never say, cancel a show or anything. No, yeah, never. No, I would that never level. cancel the show either. Yeah, your voice is amazing because I mean I don't know if people on this podcast know, but you've been doing double duty like helping nathan sing the heaviest most screamiest parts on what three four voice sets fire songs i've been doing three
0: night? three voice sets fire songs a night yeah just it's helping just like them out work with the course. screaming. it's beautiful um and i mean voice sets fire they're a great band but i didn't know these songs actually right so i had to right. learn them and learn them in one day and that's it's a bit a lot of pressure but i like to help out and, and I learning do other I people's
1: songs is different like because even if you hear it and you know it it's really different than being able to sing it and like hear the rhythms and the and the where you're gonna breathe like how does this line block stuff yeah. like that I'm like what's going well, some hey, of the it, lyrics
0: too are like lyrics that like words I would never naturally use too right right and I'm thinking about where is this when when does he talk about the vomit and then uh, <laughs> when does the choking on the calm line come <laughs> like ban but so but but it, it has been actually a lot of fun I'm really enjoying it now. Um, you know, despite it being tough, with yeah, this many in a row. Yeah, but I mean, it, you know,
1: it's it's awesome to see you do yeah, it. You've been you've, it, you've you know, been a hero to the whole tour. And I'm not even I'll, trying to be dramatic. Like I'll, it's been really, you, it's just been like the extra backbone that everyone needed to know that like Nathan was going to be okay because Shane was going to help him. And and that's a huge part of the ethic of this that you guys always are emblematic of. Like it seems like you know just being able to be helpful, be useful in the moment, and help the whole thing kick off.
0: Well, it's a show, and, and whether you know whether we're the headliner or we're the opener or wherever we fit in we have our job that's how i feel like when you sign up for a tour you you sign up for a job and the job is to have everybody that pays their admission price to have the best time they can right of course most of that weight uh falls on the headliner because they're who most people are coming to see they do the most of the work they're on stage the longest you know there's that and the opening band has, in some ways, the easiest job, and sometimes, in some ways, the hardest job. But everybody has their role, right? And right. if I, if somebody needs, you know, me to pick them up, I'll pick them up. And yeah. that's just the way I think you need to think about it. It's it's interesting how a lot of people coming to shows think like we're playing a sport and we're all against each other. Right, and right, right. they're going to f- tally up the final scores at the end, and who won the game. It's, right, it's right. not a fucking competition. It's
1: almost like they're just throwing out this fishing line of like, you know, are you going to take this bait? Like, they, they're, they're waiting to see how everyone's going to react. I, I like, don't
0: even know. I don't really know, but that's not what we're here do, to do. No. And I don't know, if, maybe it's because when you're in high school, there's a battle of the bands Right. So people think they're still at a battle of the bands, but that's really not what it is. And and most of the tours you're on it's people are pretty good friends and really yeah. have each other's backs and this right. tour especially is like that.
1: And you're pulling for each other and you want you want everyone to grow and you want everyone to access all of their personal emotions and you want the crowd to be as connected as possible and all of that stuff. It's not just on one band's shoulders. It's on everybody's and it's, it's just great. It's just been nice to see all the solidarity and That's right. mutual aid That's up in right. this piece.
0: And, and after you drop off with us, you're going to join up with some, some more great people. It's Do you know be, the Refused guys? Never, i
1: never, I know Dennis from the INC from international yeah. conspiracy, yeah. but like I never saw refused even oh, though no? they broke up like three hours away from my hometown in like a basement <laughs> in the mountains in Harrisonburg, Virginia, yeah, I never yeah. got to see them. So this is going to be
0: ah, amazing. Oh yeah. That I exciting. saw their one first reunion tour and man, they can play. That's yeah. for sure. They're yeah, yeah. what a band. So that'll be really fun. And then what's going on next for uh, for you personally? You have, um, I guess, a little bit of break from music and then are we, can we expect some more strike shows? Strike music, more great there, collapse tours. What, what what do you got coming up?
1: There's not anything on the in the books for a Strike Anywhere show. Um, we still are sending songs back and forth and writing. We have like a great deal of music, and from what I can tell, interest. Um, some of my bandmates are about to be fathers, so they're oh. having new new babies.
2: Uh, Matt so that's Smith.
1: changing. The, yeah, and right. Mark as well. Oh, so great. it's gonna be. You know that th- we 're going to need to take some time, continue to take you know some time away from relentless playing um, but so yeah there's there 's stuff happening in the strike anywhere family, but i wouldn 't say any like new record or or shows yet, um, but we still keep trying to find a window to mm-hmm. do it. Eric our drummer is a uh, it's like a touring uh, drum tech, production assistant for this pop band called Imagine Dragons. Yes. So he is busy year round with that band, yeah. and uh, and but I know he he aches to get back to playing with us, and sure. you know he's he definitely feels that. Uh, Anyway, he's, he's, he's away from it. Well, um, but it's, we miss it's him.
0: good that anybody listening to this knows that Strike Anywhere is not dead. Because, I, I mean, you're not going on the record and talking about it, but you guys are still alive and well. Yes. There will be shows in the future of at course. some point. Yeah, yeah, Maybe yeah. Maybe new music, hopefully. Yeah. And until then, we have The Great Collapse, which is a great new band. Make sure you check out the record, Holy War. It's out now. And Thomas, thank you very much for doing this. Thank you, Shane. Had a blast. Awesome. So, there's my conversation with Thomas from Strike Anywhere, one of my favorite people. Thank you so much for listening. Another thing we're trying to set up in the near future is this lead singer syndrome, you know, for lack of a better term, fan club. And we aren't really sure what to do, what you guys want. You know, if you guys don't mind paying like a monthly fee, we want to give you guys, you know, some cool stuff. So, please, if you could get in touch with me. Um, I think Twitter is kind of the way to go. So, lead sing- at lead S Y N, and just let us know kind of the the types of things you'd want to get uh, if you sign up for a program. If you're down for that, of course, the show will always be free. You can always listen to it, you know, on on your podcast app. Um, but we just want to give something extra to the to the people that that want more. That you know, every Monday isn't enough for them. So, we're just trying to figure out exactly what we can do. Um, for you guys and and everything. So we'll be back again next Monday, as always. Uh, We also have some cool stuff coming up with a few special episodes. You know, we did the Under Oath special, which you should go back and check out for sure. But also we're going to do another upcoming special. So so make sure you're subscribed so you can get that stuff coming right at you. And uh, hey, thanks again. All the best. And we'll see you next week. I'm going to leave you with probably my favorite Strike Anywhere song. I mean, it might be their most popular, it might not be, but it is a great song. This is To The World by Strike Anywhere on Lead Singer Syndrome. Peace and love.
2: Look how the runs cling to my footsteps. The fatal, invisible tool. by which we defy, fight. We fight for our approval. And fear our removal from the safety of fool. the tidal forces of our positions. Not one, not one.